So a man named David Hagler sent this uh, story into Reader's Digest several years ago, a couple decades ago. And it goes like this. He, he lived in Boulder, Colorado at the time, and he was driving on his way home from work, and it was in the wintertime, and so weather was pretty inclement. And he got pulled over for going too fast, and he insisted to the officer he was not going too fast, but the officer said due to the inclement weather that he was driving in an unsafe way for, for the conditions being what they were, and if that he would like to challenge the ticket, then he could take it to court. And so Hagler went home, police officer went about his job. Well, on top of his normal job, Hagler was also a, an umpire in a rec softball league. And so uh, he did that on the side of his regular job. And so as luck would have it, spring came around that next year. And the very first batter, the very first game, that police officer walked up to the plate. He was the very first batter. And they recognized each other, and the police officer kind of, you know, gently turned to him, and he, and he said, well, how did that whole ticket thing work out? And Dave said, well, let me put it this way, you better swing at everything. <laughs> it takes us a while to get over things when we feel like we've been done wrong, doesn't it? When we feel like we've been uh, shown injustice or treated unfairly, does it not? In fact, we tend to be quite concerned with what is fair and just when we are on the receiving end of unfair treatment or unjust treatment. But what about when it comes to us acting justly and fairly? Are we just as concerned with us and how we treat others as we are about how we are treated? Well, hold on to that idea because speaking of that, we are in the midst of a series, as you can see, uh, that we've been in for the last couple of weeks and we'll be in for the next couple of weeks. We're right in the middle of it. Uh, a series called Walk This Way, in which we're really kind of walking through a little bit of Micah. We First week, we kind of took an overarching view. Last week, we took a little bit smaller view. Uh, and over these next three weeks, we're really going to narrow in on the passage that we've been looking at, centered on, uh, from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. And so I'll just read it to you, and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Here's what the prophet Micah says in that verse. He has shown you, you people, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And today we're going to return to that passage as we consider the first of those three power-packed statements that Micah gives us, and that is to act justly, and what does that mean? But before we get there, I need to remind you a little bit about where we've been. As we've talked about, God has two big concerns in the book of Micah. There's more than that, but there's two big concerns that kind of are over everything else. The, the people are living in, in ways that are contrary to what God wants, and those two big ways basically are their idolatry, their worshiping of other gods, and their injustice and in how they're treating one another. And we talked about last week why uh, or how God takes this and why God takes this so personally, not just idolatry, which makes sense because they're worshiping other gods. It makes sense that God would take that personally, but why he takes injustice and how they're treating one another so personally. We saw that throughout Scripture, we're reminded of the fact that, that you and I and all human beings are created in the image of God. We are more like God than anything else in all of creation. And so consequently, God takes injustice and considers injustice done to other human beings 
as being injustice done to him. And on the flip side, he takes it when we act justly and we show justice uh, that we are treating others, we are treating him in the same ways. And, and so as you read through the book of Micah, uh, what you see is there is just this, this whole system of injustice that's going on. Uh, segment of wealthy people are, are, are doing what they're doing to take advantage of the needy and the poor. There's civic leaders and judges taking bribes, presumably from those who are unjust to be able to continue to do what they're doing in the ways that they're doing it. Then even on top of that, you've got priests and religious leaders who are also taking bribes to kind of tell the civic leaders and the, or the uh, po- political leaders what they want to hear and to con- continue to do and, and treat people the way that they're treated. It's just this whole overarching system of injustice that benefits a certain level of people, but everywhere, everywhere else beneath uh, is, is being treated unfairly and unjustly. It's just a a whole system of injustice, and God's had it. God has had enough, and he is ready to level the playing field, and a foreign power called Assyria is going to be God's bulldozer. And so God says in Micah chapter 3 verse 12, therefore because of you, because of everything you're doing, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble, the temple hill a mound overgrown with thickets. And so in Micah chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, which we looked at last week, Micah begins to articulate some of the questions that the people of God are asking. Uh, you know, they're hearing about God's desire to level the playing field, to start, you know, just kind of uh, basically wipe things out and, 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 and bring his people. We talked about a couple weeks ago, God's not afraid to, to kind of let things get dark in the lives of his people so that they hunger for the light again. And so the people of God, upon hearing Micah's prophetic words, many of them are responding by asking, okay, well, what do we do? Okay, if this is where we are, how, how do we get on God's good side or back on good, God's good side? What, what is it that we need to do to please God again and to get Assyria off our back? And so Micah begins to articulate some of the questions that they're asking in verses 6 and 7. With what shall I come before the Lord? And bow down before the exalted God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And so we talked about last week, what do all three of these questions have in common? They all have to do with what are we doing in the worship of the temple? What rituals, what worship rituals do we need to do before God? Do we need to bring before God? What does our worship service, in other words, look like, to put it in our modern language? What what does it look like? What, what What do we need to do in the temple? And yet, Micah's saying that's not what God is looking for. It's not that our worship is unimportant. It is. But he's not looking for them to simply do something, bring something to him in the temple. He's looking for them to live in a different way outside the temple. And so it's good what we do in here. But God is just as concerned, if not more concerned, with what we're doing out there. And so in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, God answers their question. And he says, I've already told you (laughs) what I want. Like, I've, I've, I've tried to explain to you. This is not new news. Here, you want to know what, what I desire from you? I want you to act justly. I want you to love mercy. And I want you to walk humbly with me. In other words, this isn't about what you're bringing to the temple in an act of, of, of ritual or worship. 
but this is about your life outside the temple. And it's interesting that Jesus would have to reiterate this lesson uh, later in his ministry to the spiritual leaders of Israel. For instance, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you have neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Or in Luke chapter 11, verse 42, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Did you catch that? Jesus says that, that, that they're careful to give a tenth of everything that they have, even down to the, the, their, their garden herbs and their spices. They're careful to do all of these things. They're, they're nitpicky on those kind of things, and yet they're neglecting matters of justice and how they're treating people outside of the temple. And it seems that throughout Scripture, and really, we're honest, throughout the course of human history, human beings, you and I included, have a hard time sometimes getting this. Because we have a tendency to want to place more emphasis on what we're doing right now. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that's not important. But we have a tendency to place more emphasis on what we're doing right now than what we're going to do when we go out from these walls. Than how we live our lives during the rest of the week. We, we place more emphasis on, on pleasing God inside a church building and inside a worship service than we do on pleasing him beyond such things. And maybe it's because it's just easier that way. Isn't it? I mean, I mean, like we come in here, we check all the right boxes, and we feel so much better about ourselves so that when we go back out there, we can, you know, we, we don't have to live completely immoral lives, but we can kind of live the way we want to live. We'd like for things to be set up in such a way that we can give God his due and then go back to our worlds and live the way that we want. But there's just one problem with that. Well, there's a lot of problems with that, but there's one major problem with that. It's not our world. It's not your world. It's his. And he is very concerned about human beings doing one another right and living and acting justly toward one another in his world. I think about what Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, which give a pretty good idea of what it means to act justly to one another when he says what we often call the golden rule. So in everything, he says, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. But what does it mean to act justly? What, what does justice mean when we're talking about how we act justly toward one another? What does that involve, particularly in light of what Micah is telling us? Well, let me give you three suggestions this morning for our lives, three things that kind of hopefully will, uh, will, will define what it means when it comes to justice and acting justly. And the first is this, when it comes to justice and acting justly, God is the ultimate standard. Now, I'm not going to give you, like, some crazy new ideas. And generally speaking, I, you know, I learned a long time ago, I, I'm, I'm not going to tell you things that are new and mind-blowing. But sometimes we just need to be reminded of these things. And, and this is one of them. When it comes to acting justly and, and, and what justice means, God is the ultimate standard. And by that, I mean there's some things that aren't the ultimate standard. Our, our, our conscience is not the ultimate standard. Our culture and how it defines what is just and unjust is not the ultimate standard. Even our country and our country's laws do not define what is just and what is unjust, what is right and what is wrong. It is our God 
that is the ultimate standard for what it means to act justly and what it means to show for, and fight for justice. And, and I think this is important for us to realize. Uh, and, and, and again, I, I think we, we know this in, in thought, in, in, in theory, but we don't always apply it to our lives because for some people, their, their conscience is what they, they, they have as their guide to what is just and what is unjust. Right? And, and so what, what, what is my thought process on what I define as what is just and what is unjust? And if I'm not violating my conscience, then I feel good about it. But I would point you to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, when he says, my conscience is clear. I feel good about this. My, my conscience is clear. Uh, but that does not make me innocent. Or to paraphrase, it does not make what I'm doing just. It is the Lord who judges me. Some people uh, look to their culture as the standard for what is just. Other people look to their country as the standard for what is just. Our country's laws as the standard for what is just. But in Micah, God comes along and he shares his vision for the world that's been hijacked by injustice. And after telling them what he's about to do with Assyria, listen to what God says in Micah chapter 4 when he casts a vision for the world that he's going to build one day. When he says this, starting in verse 1, in the last days, The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Now, I want to tell you, there's a lot in that passage, and we're not going to tackle all of it, but I do want to make some applications as it relates to what we're talking about here and the idea of acting justly. And so God here shares his vision, right? Shares his vision for what he desires of this world. That there's going to come a time when the law is going to come from Zion, come out of Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, as Micah writes. And and this is important because in Micah's world, when, when injustice was involved, it was often involved and tied up in the laws and the interpretations of God's own people. And these laws interpretations were being made and given by men, including civic leaders and religious leaders who were in on this system of injustice. They were taking bribes. They were treating people unfairly for their own profit and gain. But God says there's going to come a time when the law is going to come out of Zion, when the word of the Lord is going to come out of Jerusalem. In other words, it's going to come from him and not them. And sometimes there's a difference between the values of God and even a country and a country's laws. And while there's no question, certainly, that a country can reflect some of the values of God, it's not always that way. And certainly we see that a lot more and more and more in our culture, in our country. And it certainly wasn't that way in Micah's day either. Consider Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, where God says, "'Woe to those who make unjust laws.'" Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. And so apparently it is possible, which you probably already knew this, it is possible to have an unjust law. There there can be such a thing as an unjust law according to God. Why is that possible? Why is it possible to have an unjust law? Because God is the ultimate standard, right? Right? And so it can be unjust according to God, and it can actually be legal in our country or by our culture standards or whatever standard that we are using. And it's possible to support the laws of the land and still be unjust by God's 
standard. And I can't help, I'm not going to go into them, but I can't help but think of some things today, specifically in our culture and in our country, that may be lawful and yet ultimately are not just by God's standards. Now, I don't want to get too sidetracked into just thinking that acting justly and and justice is only related to laws and the writing of laws and rewriting of laws, but I simply wanted to point out that as an illustration, that our standard for justice and acting justly must ultimately be God, more than it is our conscience, more than it is our culture and how the people around us define it, even more than what it is even our our, our country's laws and our country in, in general. Because sometimes what our country or what our culture or what our conscience deems is right and legal can still be wrong and unjust in God's eyes. Remember the meaning of the name Micah, right? Micah's name literally means who is like God? Who is like God? And what he's calling us to is to regain a vision of what the standard is. Who is like God? What does it mean to be like God in terms of defining justice and acting justly toward one another and how we're treating each other as opposed to simply living by the idea of, well, you know, what's legal? What's, what, what's legal? What, what, what does the law say? Or what can I get away with and still be, you know, a good citizen and still be, you know, under the, under the, the guise of the law? Michael would say, and God certainly would say, that bar is too low. Like, that, that, that's too low of a bar just to say, what can I get away with? What, you know, what, what does our country define as, as good or, or as just? He says, what does God define? Who is like God? Well, nobody is. God's standards are the ultimate standard. And so what does it mean to be like God and how we live with one another and how we treat one another? Speaking of that idea, that leads me to a second consideration when it comes to acting justly. And it's this, justice and acting justly have far more to do than just the punishment of the guilty. Because it's also about provision for the needy. And we tend to think of, of justice very strictly, and I'll get to that in just a second, but it's, it's more than just you know, somebody getting the justice they deserve in terms of punishment and punishing those who are guilty. It's also about provision being made for those who are in need. Look at Micah chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Micah writes, He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That would be nice. Uh, Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. Note that in God's picture, God's vision, God's values, everyone has their own vine. Everyone has their own fig tree. Now, justice and acting justly does not mean that everybody gets to live life on easy street either, okay? You still need plowshares and you still need pruning hooks for your own vine and your own fig tree. But the point is, in in God's vision, every person has their own fig tree and vine. Justice and acting justly is about seeing to it that others have opportunity and provision just as you and I seek to have our own opportunity and provision. And the reason I bring this up about justice having as much to do with provision as it does with penalty is because I, I don't know about you, but I alluded to this earlier. When I think about justice, it's very easy for my mind to go to the, the idea of those who have done wrong getting what do we say? They, they, they get justice. That's justice. Why? They got what they deserved, right? 
They got the punishment that we defined as what is right or, or just that they deserved. That's justice. So you hear a lot of people today talk about wanting justice. What they're talking about is they want that person who, in their eyes, did what was wrong, as they, sometimes as, as, just they, as they defined it, but them getting the punishment they deserve, having them punished, having them pay the penalty. And while punishment and, and penalties can be one part of justice, it does not wholly define what justice is, because justice involves also provision for those who are in need, and not just punishment for the guilty. Justice is not just about punishing someone who's done wrong. It's also about attempting to right a wrong in someone else's life. And I say that because I think that's important for us as a church, because we get really, really focused sometimes on pointing out the wrongs. We get really focused on, on, on sometimes nitpicking and, and calling out wrongs. And, and, and I think there's an important realm for that. <coughs> Excuse me. But are we also concerned about righting the wrongs and not just punishing the wrongs, especially as it got, is defined by God? And justice isn't truly realized until the person who's lost something has regained it or someone who has a, a right to something but never had it has come into it. For instance, you see this played out in the Old Testament when someone who stole something from somebody uh, else was, was punished. But then, even after their punishment, beyond their, their punishment, they were also required to pay back that person the value of what it is that they, or what it was that they stole if they could not repay it. And then on top of that, they were also to pay back a fifth of the value of that thing that they took on top of what it was that they stole. That concept was called restitution. Restitution uh, was considered a part of justice as well. Because again, justice isn't just about punishing the wrongdoer or calling out the wrong. It is also about providing for those who have been wronged, providing for those who are in need. Now that's just one example of this principle in the case of somebody who stole from another. But the point is, in attempting to, to provide what's been lost or what's been taken or what someone else has a right to, that's justice as well. In fact, I would, I would say that's the fulfillment, and the Bible would say that's the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of justice. That's why justice and how we respond to the poor and to those who are in need so often is linked together in Scripture. Justice isn't just about someone getting what they deserve, but it's about the, 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 someone who did not have or has been taken from getting what they had lost, replacing what they had lost. And so when Scripture talks about justice and the poor and those who are in need, it's not just talking about the, you know, it's not talking about punishing the rich or punishing those who aren't in need. It's talking about provision for the poor and for those who are in need. Just consider a few of these verses. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18 says, God ensures that the orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. Psalm 103, verse 6 the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7, the righteous care about justice for the poor. So it's not just God who cares about it, it's you and I. The righteous care about justice for the poor, but the wicked have no such concern. Now I know these are very generic examples in a lot of ways, but this is why providing food for the poor, clothing for those who don't have it, Shelter for those who don't have it. Reaching out to those who are in need, those who have been you know, oppressed, those who are disenfranchised, disenfranchised. All of those are matters of justice. Not just pointing out wrongs, 
but making things right. That's matter, those are matters of justice biblically because justice isn't just punishment for those who are guilty. It's also provision for those who are in need. And then finally, again, this is not earth-shattering, but I believe when it comes to justice and acting justly, Jesus is necessary. Again, I know that's not going to surprise anyone here, but it's important for us to just kind of take a step back and realize where are, how are we defining justice and what it means to act justly toward one another. And I think Micah would tell us the same thing. And he's necessary for a lot of reasons, okay? But I'm just going to narrow, narrow in, zero in on, on one thing in particular. shouldn't be surprising that Micah himself prophesies about Jesus in the midst of this book. In fact, in Micah uh, chapter 5, we find a prophecy that is often quoted around Christmas time. We talk about Jesus coming into this world and the birth of, of Jesus. And so Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and verse 4 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over, over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And then verse 4, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely, hold on to that word, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And so Micah speaks of Jesus coming as a shepherd. And the result of him being a, a coming as a shepherd and being our shepherd is that those who he shepherds will live securely. That's one result of having Jesus as the shepherd of your soul. But what does is, what is security and living securely have to do with acting justly toward others? Well, in many cases, if you start breaking down, why, why do we treat others the way that we do? Why do we act at times unjustly towards other people? It really comes down to two things. Fear and insecurity. Those are the two things that really come down to why do we do the things that we do? Why do we treat people the way that we do? It's out of fear and out of insecurity. That, that we, we have this insecurity in our souls and we have this fearful nature and fearful thinking in our spirits. And I think having a sense of security has everything to do with acting justly towards someone else. Take, for instance, somebody who, who finds their security in money and in stuff and, and consequently never feels like they have enough. Well, they can, that can lead them to act in unjust ways when it comes to how they treat other people when their money is at stake. Everything's okay, but, but when you start talking about my money, then... Yeah, I tighten up. Can lead to us being stingy, being selfish, or even to do others wrong in the name of holding on to what is ours. Or consider someone whose security is tied up in, in their, their success and in their winning and in their, their competing. That can lead them to act in unjust ways towards those that they are competing against in the business world, in the sports world, in the you name it world. You know, competing for, for just the, the, the recognition that we think we, we, we deserve. Or, or consider someone whose image or, or uh, security is tied up in their image or in their position of power, their status. That can lead them to act in just, unjust ways towards others if their image is at stake or if their position of power is at stake or if their, their, their status is at stake. By the way, I think that's why so many people, you see so many people who become corrupted by their fame, by their fortune, by their resources, by their power, by their position. So many people don't start out that way, 
I mean, people, you know, when we come into these things, we, we have good intentions in the beginning. We start out well, and yet it's so easy to find your security in those things to the point where you no longer use them as tools for justice, but you use them for tools just for you. And it's so easy for us to, to allow that to happen in our lives. It, it's easy for us to, to slide into that where we wind up being concerned with just us instead of justice. And when I have a tendency to find my, my security and my money in my stuff, in my position, in my fame, in my resources, in, in whatever, fill in the blank. When that thing becomes at stake, more often than not, I'll be inclined to treat those who put it at stake or are a, 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 an affront to those things being at stake to treat them unjustly as a way to protect it or hold on to it. It's just so easy to be concerned with just us instead of just is. But when Jesus is my shepherd and I learn to find my security in him, I'm actually more free, more empowered to act justly towards others. When, when our security is not tied up in our money or in our stuff or in our, in our, in our, uh, our, our resources or in our fame or our position or our status or anything else, those things no longer hinder us from acting justly toward others. In fact, we're actually freer to employ such things, even to sacrifice those things, because they don't define me. They're not, the, they're, they're not my security. I don't find my security in them. And so I'm able to not only employ them, but even to sacrifice them in the name of acting justly toward others. I'm reminded of a story I read about involving Henry David Thoreau. I don't know how many of you know that name, but uh, he was thrown in jail for a short time because of his opposition to America's involvement in the Mexican-American War. And one of his friends came to visit him while he was in prison. And his friend, as he's seeing Henry behind the, the bars of the prison door, he, he says to Henry, he says, Henry, what are you doing in there? What are you doing in there? And Henry looked at him and he said, and I love this response, he said, that's not the question. The question is, what are you doing out there. Not what am I doing in here, but, but why, why are you not in here? What are you doing out there? Now, I don't know much about the Mexican-American War, and I'm not about to start any history lesson for you, so don't worry. Uh, nor do I know much about uh, Thoreau's uh, walk with Jesus, if there was one. But I do admire, at least in this instance, how he was free enough to stand up for what he thought was just. He was free enough to embrace losing his freedom because of his conviction. And it makes me wonder, when it comes to justice and acting justly, what am I doing out there, beyond the temple walls, beyond these church walls? I'm not saying it's not important what we do in here, but what am I doing out there? How am I acting justly? How am I living out there? How am I relating to those in my life out there? You know, I can talk the game in here. I can speak Christianese in here quite well, right? But what am I doing out there? What am I standing for in my community, in my culture? 
What am I doing out there for the glory of God and for the sake of Jesus Christ?